This is a News Radio 1440 podcast. Good evening, everybody, and thank you so much for being with us here on Tactics, where speech isn't violence, tolerance isn't love, and disagreement isn't hate. Thank you so much for being on the program with us this evening. We appreciate you giving us any of your very valuable time, especially right now when the country is in crisis. Now, of course, I am talking about everything that is going on in the Capitol. By the way, if you are interested in more programs just like this, or you're watching because it is a, a big news day, be sure to like and subscribe, and be sure if you're on YouTube to subscribe, hit that little notification bell. We appreciate it. It helps us bring you more great content just like this. So I know that everybody already knows about this, so I'm not even going to go over the details. Like, this has been such an, a big news story. Just essentially, the, the long and short of it is, there was a pro-Trump rally. It moved toward the Capitol building, and once it got to the Capitol building, there were a few people, um, not to, to you know downplay it or anything, because this is incredibly serious, and it is a dark day for our republic when, because people do not like the results of an election, even if that election was illegitimate, even though I believe that there were issues with the election that could very well have led to an incorrect outcome being what happened afterward, it's still never okay to do what they did and breach the doors and essentially storm the gates, go into the United States Capitol and sit there in the, the chamber with the House. That is, you. I mean... By every measure, that is incorrect. That is not a good moral thing. This is evil. This is rioting. This is domestic terrorism. There is no question about it. I have maintained for a very long time, since the very beginning of all this stuff that went on with Black Lives Matter, with Antifa, that when you are engaging in actual violence as a means to affect a political end, in other words, there is a political outcome that you are trying to achieve, and the method by which you go about trying to make that political outcome manifest itself is engage in violence, you are a domestic terrorist. Period. End of discussion. No exceptions. That is what happens when you do that. And these people, I don't care if they were wearing MAGA hats. I don't care if they were carrying Trump flags. I don't care if they were carrying American flags and declaring themselves patriots. That's not the way this works. There is nothing more un-American than violating the principles set forth in our Constitution, first and foremost among them being the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech. It's literally in the First Amendment that both peaceable assembly and the freedom of speech, these are two of the five rights guaranteed in the First Amendment, they violated the principles underlying both of those. And... The more that I thought about this, it is a dark day for the Republic. Now, there were a lot of people comparing this to like 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. It is incredibly serious. But it is not as serious as that. We are not under attack from a foreign power. Uh, it, we didn't have several thousand Americans losing their lives. I mean, yes, this is a very big deal, and the people involved in it should absolutely, no questions, I feel no sympathy for them, being prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. They should be tried for trespassing, property damage, inciting a riot, whatever else they were doing, like any charges that could be levied against them because of this, are appropriate. And that's just the way that it is. But ultimately, let's not pretend as though and overblow this thing that it is the same as 3,000 plus American citizens losing their lives to a terrorist attack. 
or that this is on the level of the Japanese Empire bombing our ships in a military base on Pearl Harbor. It's, it's not that. It is a big deal. It is very important. And in some ways, I think you could even argue that it is worse because instead of being attacked from the outside, we're being attacked now from the inside by people purporting to be Americans and patriots. But there was nothing patriotic about what they did yesterday. I think that you could argue that the significance is, is quite uh, different because of that, because it's not a foreign power. But let's not pretend that these things are on the same level. Uh, that's just, you know, overplaying it. But ultimately... I came up with four things, and they were very simple and very succinct, which I know is shocking when you consider it's coming from me. I, you know, I'm a minister. We are not known for our brevity. We tend to like to elaborate. I have a big mouth. I talk for a long time. You, you guys know this. Like, I'm not telling you anything you are unaware of. If you're tuning into this show, if you've watched it before, you know I tend to ramble a little bit. That's the way... This works. It's the reason that I'm in the profession that I'm that I'm in. But there are four things here that I think each of us needs to remember. And I didn't make it specific. I didn't make it partisan. These are four things that everybody, even if you are a socialist and well, maybe not a socialist, but if you want, even if you want a giant welfare state, if you happen to be sort of a, a an old school. And, and by old school, I mean like a Bill Clinton kind of Democrat. You should be able to agree with these things. Because when times like these come up, what is important to remember is our bedrock principles. Because it hurt seeing what happened in the Capitol yesterday. It hurt me. You can ask those that, that saw me the other day. It was something that affected me. I, my, my behavior was different because of this. It, it bothered me. And, and it should bother every American. This is something that, that happens in banana republics. This is something that happens in Muslim theocracies or dictatorships in the days after an election. This is not something that is supposed to happen in America. To my knowledge, this is something that has never happened in America. And because of that, this is a very sad event to watch unfold. But there are four things that I think that we can sort of look at and remember, and these are things that every single American should agree on because they go back to core principles. They're not a Republican or a Democrat idea. They're just ideas that every American should be able to agree on. And the first one is that domestic terrorism is evil, no matter what side does it. And there is no question, this is domestic terrorism. What happened in the Capitol, I, there's no reason to parse words here. It was a riot. It was domestic terrorism. It's just like when I said the same thing about, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda or BLM or Antifa. When they are engaging in violence to get to a political end, that is domestic terrorism. And it's evil when people on the left do it. It is evil when people on the right do it. It is evil whether it is Biden voters or Trump voters or Hillary voters or George W. Bush voters. I don't care who you vote for. That doesn't excuse your behavior. Domestic terrorism is evil no matter what. There are no exceptions to this rule. Two. You cannot blame people for the evil that other people engage in. You simply cannot do it. Each man is responsible only for his own sins. This, again, should be a bedrock principle. This is an idea that literally the whole of Western civilization is based upon because Western civilization is based on the work of two men, Moses and Jesus. This one comes from Moses. This is a law 
that goes all the way back to the, one of the most ancient laws in human history. There was a rule that you could not punish, for example, the father for the actions of his son or the sons for his father. This is something that's actually found in Exodus. And because of that, this is something that we have held sacred as a species for thousands of years. You can only blame a person for things that that person did. And we'll get into this a little bit more a little bit later in the program with specifics, but the overarching theme here, because again, I'm trying to stay at, at bedrock principles here. I'm, I'm not trying to, to get overly political. You cannot blame a, a person for the things that other people did. I'm a political commentator. And yes, I, I am a conservative. I make no bones about that. I don't pretend that I'm not. I don't pretend that I'm unbiased. I'm, I'm not a news anchor. I'm not a reporter. I am a commentator. Because of that, I have opinions. There are a lot of people that like me that I probably agree with pretty much everything that they do. Most of my audience are good Christian people that would never hurt a fly, that would never condone any of this stuff that was going on in D.C. the other day. There are probably a few that do. I've had insane, crazy people that don't like me and have threatened to kill me. I've had insane, crazy people that do like me and are freakishly loyal to me. Uh, generally speaking, because of the, the way that I do things, the way that I present myself, I don't have many of the crazy ones that are actually on my side. Most of the crazies are on the other side. But the point is, those people exist. I'm sure that there are people that, generally speaking, would like my program that are not good people or not people that would be devoted to my stance of, of having no violence. I, I can't help that. You can't help who likes you. There are good people that like President Trump. There are incredibly evil people that like President Trump. And the same is true for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and everybody else. I don't know how many good people actually support Bernie Sanders, but I'm sure they're there. They're. I'm, I'm making a joke somewhat because of my fraternity brother, who I'm hoping is watching <laughs> that it was a Sanders supporter. Um, but ultimately, that's what it, it does boil down to, that there are, there are good, well-intended people that don't want to hurt anybody that would support anybody, but you cannot blame any particular person for the evil doings of their supporters. You know, I, I hate this game that we play, and we do it a lot, unfortunately. Every time there's some kind of mass shooting or terrorist event, we, we, there's a rush by the media, mostly the left-leaning media, but it happens some on the right, too. I'm not saying that it doesn't. There's a rush to find out what that person's political affiliation was. Uh, I remember, especially with the Aurora, Colorado shooting, that there was somebody that was trying to say, hey, there's a guy with the same name, by the way, that is associated with the Tea Party around this area. And I don't know if it's the same guy, but he does have the same name. Let me just go ahead and throw that slur out there when it turns out actually he didn't really have any kind of political affiliation. There's, there's this rush to find out, okay, who did this person vote for? Do they have any pro-Trump stuff on their Facebook page? Do they have any pro-Hillary stuff on their Facebook page? That's dumb. I mean, if their shooting or their evil action was politically motivated, that's something that we need to know. That's something we need to be informed of. But anything short of that person actually calling for their supporters to go out and engage in violence is not inciting a riot. And they cannot be held responsible for the actions of bad people. This happens all the time. There are eco-terrorists out there that I don't, I don't blame Al Gore for every nutcase that goes to CNN and tries to you know, hold them hostage. 
for not putting on enough stuff about global warming, and by the way, that's not a hypothetical, that really happened. I don't blame people for the actions of other people unless they specifically do call for violence. You may remember that earlier this year, a local story in Birmingham, that you had Funny Man. Now him I did blame because he specifically said we need to tear some word I can't say down. Okay, that, that's calling for engaging in criminal activity. That is inciting a riot. But unless a person, a political commentator or a political figure, political pundit, elected official, unless they actually call for violence, they are not responsible for the actions of the people that are listening to them. If Funny Man, as much as I might, would have disliked it, said, you know what, there are black people that are just being randomly killed for no reason, people, uh, police officers are just running around shooting black people at random for no reason, and that's why this is really bad. Okay, I disagree with that, and that's a lie, even though a lot of people have pushed that narrative. That, that is incorrect, and he's not right for saying that, but is he responsible for whatever happened in Birmingham after that, where people tore up business? No because that would not be inciting a riot, what he said was. And so ultimately, the only way that you can hold somebody responsible is, they, is if they actually call for violence. Otherwise, you cannot say, I don't like what X person said, therefore, therefore, I am going to blame them for the evil actions of people that claim to support them. And of course, I am bringing this up because an awful lot of people in the media the other day were saying that Donald Trump is to blame. We're actually going to do a an example of that in the Daily Dose of Stupid. So, see how I'm teasing here, so be sure to stay stay tuned for the Daily Dose of Stupid. Uh, but, but this is something that is unfortunately all too common, that we are in a rush to figure out this person's political affiliation so that we can pin the evil doings of the evildoers, as President George W. Bush might say. Uh, if we were to just pin whatever they do and just project that onto this political person that I do not like so that I can make political hay. It's evil, and it's sickening. And, by the way, there are several examples of people that had left-leaning affiliations that did this, and it's still not the fault of the people that they happen to politically support. It's simply not. We see this over and over and over and over again. Antifa and Black Lives Matter this year alone has cost us several dozen people's lives. And as horrible as that is, and as wrong as I believe the people that support Black Lives Matter and Antifa are, it's still not those politicians' faults in, unless they actually call for them to do that. And so this is a standard that we must maintain across the political aisle. The third thing, the correct response to political disagreement is speech, not violence. You know how when we come on the show, the show's motto, the thing that we start out every single show with and usually come back from a commercial break with as well, is that speech isn't violence? That is correct. Speech is not violence. And specifically because speech is not violence, it is the correct venue to move forward in a political discussion. I get that there are people there, and I'm not excusing their actions, I'm just saying that I understand that they were reasonably frustrated. I mean, they are seeing unfold, again, whether you agree with this or not, this is how, I'm, I'm just saying, get inside their head, this is how they see it playing out. These people feel as though they do not have a voice. They feel like the media is against them, that you've got big tech like Twitter and Facebook censoring them, which they are. It's happened to me too. 
and they feel as though the one person, after years of being called racist and bigots and the, the worst parts of, of human history, there's this guy, President Donald Trump, that comes along and sticks up for them and actually listens to them and pretends like and, and acts like their opinion matters. And, and by the way, I think that Trump is largely genuine when he does this, when he listens to people and he wants to get their feedback. And not only that, all these people that have been calling them a bunch of knuckle-dragging Neanderthals and idiots and backwards and racist and all these other things, Donald Trump has no problem just walking up and punching those people right in the mouth. Rhetorically, of course. When he goes after the media, when he goes after the left, when he talks about what terrible people they are, that's part of the draw of Trump. Whether you agree with it or not, that's one of the things that people really liked about him. Is that... For the first time in a long time, they felt like there was a guy that was listening to them and was willing to punch back at all the people that wanted those people shut down. And the way that they were able to effect a change there was through an election, by electing Donald Trump and putting him in the White House. Well, they feel like, especially the past, past year, which is not an unwarranted feeling, believe me, because I'm, I've been the source of it as well. I, I've been the target of attacks on social media, and I've been censored by social media multiple times. Uh, they, they feel like they, they don't have that venue, and they feel like nobody is listening to them. And the one person that was listening to them, they feel was railroaded out of office. Again, whether you agree with it or not, that's how they feel about it. Um doesn't excuse their actions or what they did, but that does lead to where we are right now. They felt like their only voice, the, the only recourse that they had to have their voice heard was taken away from them. And by the way, there were people in the Black Lives Matter crowd, I believe incorrectly, but also felt this way. That they didn't have any way to change the systematic racism in our country. Now, I don't believe there actually is systematic racism, but again, I'm just trying to help you get inside that person's head. And so, the left, who is all too willing to say, well, yeah, but, you know, they, they felt like their voice wasn't heard, has done the opposite here, and that really leads me into the, the next piece here. But ultimately, it's important to remember that the only correct way to have that discussion out is speech, not violence. We do what Thomas Jefferson said, which is we meet on the battlefield of ideas, and we spar with one another, verbally, of course. And we go back and forth, and at the end of the day, that's why we have free speech. Because I'm going to throw my ideas at you, you're going to throw your ideas at me, and if they conflict, then we're going to hash it out and argue with one another. But at the end of the day, it is the person, the citizen, that decides whether or not we are right or wrong. Not a church, not a government. Ultimately, it's the citizen that is supposed to decide that. And the way that that decision gets you know, manifested in, in an actual way, it, it actually becomes a realization, is based on who we elect. And people feel as though that was, the, that was taken away from them, and so they engaged in violence. That's never the answer. Martin Luther King is a great example of this. This is a person who legitimately was being censored left and right, who did not have the full rights of an American citizen that was guaranteed to him by the Constitution, and had legitimate reasons for wanting to lash out in anger, to lash out in violence, and he didn't. That's the example we need to be following. You know, 
he would, in a lot of people's eyes, be excused for using violence, but he didn't. See, this is the thing that bothers me so much about this. This is exactly what the left wanted. I think the only scenario that we could see playing out that would have played more into the left's hands, honestly, is if Donald Trump had like called in the military and set himself up in the White House and saying, look, I ain't leaving. That's the only scenario that would be of more political benefit to the left than the one that we are watching unfold yesterday. Literally the only one, because if that does happen, if we see that actually take place, then it confirms all the things that the left has said and, and frankly lied about about President Trump over the past four years, five years, really. If that had happened, that would be the left's best-case scenario because it, it plays into this narrative of Trump being some kind of power-hungry dictator that won't let go of power no matter what. Now, he's never going to admit that he was wrong or that there's even a chance that he might have lost the election, but he's not going to... Huddle, he's not going to huddle down with the military around him in the White House and refuse to leave. That's simply not going to happen. And there really aren't any serious people on either side of the aisle that believe that that was going to take place. But the second best scenario is what happened yesterday for the left. Because for five years, there have been occasional incidents that are probably, you know, weren't handled the right way from Trump supporters. But by and large... There has been a world of difference in people on the left and the people on the right and how they express political, uh, you know, basically airing their grievances to the government and, and to others. The left, we've seen over and over again, causing literally billions of dollars, with a B, of property damage in cities across America, destroying things, destroying private property, attacking private citizens, I mean, the list goes on. We've had about, I think the count last I saw was about 40-ish people that have died in the past year due to this kind of violence and, and mayhem that has been caused by these evil people on the left. But so far, you couldn't say that about people on the right. And I know that nobody actually died except for the, the one woman that was shot by police officers that were trying to defend the, the Capitol, and it's you know tragic that that happened, but she was breaking the law. Um, but ultimately... Uh, th this is the issue that we've run into is that now there is a much better case to be made that the right and the left are on an even moral playing ground, at least when it comes to uh, expression of that. Now, I, I don't believe that for a second. There, there is a world of difference in people attacking the United States House of Representatives and going out and actually killing people. Uh, but, but they are morally pretty close to the same. I mean, th there's a difference because there is not a loss of life. And I think that going way too deep in the weeds on the comparison is, is beyond the scope of what we're talking about. But the point is, you can now say that, hey, there's, there's thugs that riot and, you know, attack people and cause property damage on the right and the left. Here's videos of the left attacking police. Here's videos of people wearing MAGA gear attacking the police. Like, you, you see the equivalency that can now be drawn that just didn't exist before this happened. And because there's such a direct line between this and the people at the march that were there to support the president and the president actually talking to that same group of people before now, whether that had happened or not doesn't, you know, to me, make the, the situation any morally less or more acceptable. I mean, it's, it's reprehensible regardless. And Donald Trump is still not to blame for that, just like, you know, Every other politician isn't to blame for what their supporters do, but the point is 
now there is at least a conversation about that. Before, there was none. Anybody that was saying, well, the right is just as violent as the left, no, that person was living in a fantasy world. I mean, the only thing that they could come up with is the, the one neo-Nazi at the Unite the Right thing, which was poorly named and not something that was supported by conservatives and was routinely denounced by all of them. That was really the only thing that they could point to in the past four years of any kind of violence happening. And now what we're looking at is actual violence by people that are, are Trump supporters. Now, in, in the Unite the Right thing, we, we actually saw interviews with those people that are saying they didn't like President Trump and they were not fans of his. And who knows, maybe in the next few days we will unearth some kind of footage of the very people that were invading the Capitol and, and we turns out, you know, that they were Antifa or turns out that they were just pretending to be Trump supporters or it turns out that they, you know, may have been wearing the MAGA stuff but they don't really like President Trump all that much. Again, really doesn't matter because what they did was what they did. It was just as evil whether they supported Trump or not. But my point in all of that is there is now an equivalency that can be drawn in a way that just was impossible and uh, silly, frankly, before this. And that's why the, the correct response is always, always, always more speech and no violence. That's the way we're supposed to hash our ideas out. That's the way the founders did it. That's the way they prescribed other people to do it as well. That as long as there is some kind of resource, in other words, as long as you have some kind of representation, you can go through the election process, the, sp the political battle should be fought out on the battlefield of ideas, not with our fists, not with guns, not with weapons. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what America is. It is something that is uniquely American. And you've heard me so many times talk about the relationship between liberty and responsibility. We have freedom of speech. That is a liberty. What's the responsibility that comes with that as a civil society? We have this freedom. We need this responsibility, and that responsibility is to never resort to violence. We have the freedom of speech, which means we need to use that speech as opposed to violence in order to get our message across to other people. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And finally, the fourth thing that I wanted to bring forward, the fourth bedrock principle that everybody should be able to agree on, number four, is that you cannot excuse or ignore violence on your side and decry it on the other. You simply can't do it. Because I've seen a lot of people, people that support those on the left, and largely it, it has been from them because this is an incident. I'm, you know, I'm going to use some examples here, but I have to use this example because this is an incident of people on the right doing it. And so now we're, we're seeing the old switcheroo. I've seen some people on the right trying to defend this or, say, or explain it away or say that it was all right or say, yeah, but the reason, no, no, no excuses. I think it's perfectly okay and I've, I've already started to have a little bit of that conversation. Why these people felt like violence was their only recourse. It wasn't, but they thought that it was. It's okay to talk about what led up to this. It's okay to talk about the context. It's okay to, and I think beneficial, to say, all right, what can we do better in the future? Those are all productive conversations. What we can't do is offer excuses. Say, yeah, but it was okay for them to do this because other people have done bad things in the past. It's okay to do this because look at all the rights that happened with BLM. No, that's not all right. And, and we also can't offer excuses or to try to capitulate or say, well, no, it must have been Antifa dress up. Well, we don't know that yet. Maybe we'll find out it was. I don't know. 
But right now, there's no reason to believe, especially with the, the numbers that went in, probably a few dozen, that every single person there was some kind of Antifa infiltrator. And that's not the story that I'm hearing from conservative commentators and reporters. Guys like Elijah Schaefer over at The Blaze, who is very conservative, is saying, no, some of the people that broke in are absolutely Trump, uh, Trump people. I mean, that, that's the case. And so ultimately, this is what we have to remember, is that it is not okay to ignore or give excuses for violence on your side when you decry it on the other. And if you are somebody that is trying to offer excuses for the violence that took place the other day, that was perpetrated by, so far as we know, at least some Trump supporters, then I'm sorry, you don't get to be mad about Antifa or Black Lives Matter doing exactly the same thing the next time that riot comes around. And if you were somebody that spent the entire summer trying to explain away the violence by people like Antifa and Black Lives Matter and saying speech is violence and uh, that makes it okay for Antifa to relax, uh, react to, for example, Ben Shapiro coming on a college campus by attacking him or attacking other people or uh, tearing up a bank or something like that. If you're that person, I'm sorry, I'm not buying into your outrage over this the other day. And if you want to say, well, is that really taking place? Let's just take a quick trip down memory lane that the left has been doing this for a long time now. They have been capitulating and trying to give excuses for the violence on their side. Here's a perfect example of that uh, from The Hill, you know, a mainstream media publication, where they put out this article saying that over 90% of the protests were peaceful, the this report that they had issued forth shows. I mean, they're clearly trying to run cover for the protesters and for Antifa and Black Lives Matter in that they're saying, well, you know, 90% of the people are protesting. Okay, well, over 90% of the people at the... Trump rally the other day, there were tens of thousands of Trump supporters there and probably only about 60 or 70 that went through and stormed the Capitol building. I guess that's a mostly peaceful protest. And if you're okay with, you know, 90% of the protest being peaceful and saying that that excuses the other 10%, well, then you've got to be okay with what happened the other day. Now, this is, of course, absurd, but that's the point that I'm making here. You can't be mad about one side doing it and not mad about the other side doing it. You cannot provide cover for violent actions when it's people on your side doing it and then get all angry when somebody on the other side does it. I can be angry about both because I've been consistent about this since the very beginning. Or CNN doing this. You may remember this image very famously where they had the CNN reporter out there literally in front of a car lot that was burning down <laughs> They actually put the Chiron up there, fiery but mostly peaceful protest after police shooting. I mean, this level of gaslighting from the media is something that unfortunately we probably should have come to be used to. That they're literally showing you footage of a riot going on and things being on fire and pretending as though that is not what your own two eyeballs are showing you. Uh, we've seen this from different, not just media, but thought leaders on the left, like... Hannah Nicole Brown, um, and, you know, where she's, there was somebody that was saying on the New York Post, call them the 1619 riots, of course, referring to some of the BLM riots over the summer, and she says, well, it would be an honor, thank you. And what amazes me about this one specifically is this is a person that is literally saying, I would like to take credit for the riots, please, and yet nobody on the left would say that 
you know, Hannah Nicole, uh, sorry, I lost her name, Hannah Nicole Jones, who is the founder of the 1619 Project and the, the main one that put that together for the New York Times, somebody that works for the New York Times and has been on every left-leaning publication uh, really for the past couple of years. Nobody blames her for those, even though she specifically asked to be blamed for those and to take credit for those riots. But Donald Trump, who did the opposite and said that, no, we shouldn't be involved in violence, that everybody needs to go home, and this is not the right way to voice your opposition to what's going on here with the election. You can blame him for everything that's going, even though he said the opposite of that and told everybody to go home and, and to not engage in violence. But Hannah Nicole Brown, who is, or Hannah Nicole Jones, who is asking to be credited with this, they don't blame her for those. Another example of this that we can see is the New York Times trying to say, ah, oh, well, you know, the Boston Tea Party was, was really just a riot, and when you're calling it riots, when you're calling all these BLM, because you'll notice the date there, August 13th, 2020, right in the middle of us having this national discussion, basically just saying, yeah, well, we, we know that these riots are happening, but they're okay because that's what the Boston Tea Party was, right, guys? Well, there's several reasons why that's a bad comparison, and I actually did an entire video on this. You can go back and look at the Breaking the Internet segment, uh, you can go look through that playlist, just go to my channel and search for the uh, Boston Tea Party, riot, or violent, something like that. You, you'll be able to find it. It won't be too hard. So I'm not going to go into great detail about why that's a load of bunk. But nonetheless, you know, the New York Times trying to basically make the case that the Boston Tea Party was exactly the same as this BLM rights and trying to run cover for them. That's why it's hard for me to take this seriously. And in case... You thought that those were the only examples that I could come up with. Oh, I've got even better for you. I have an entire montage of the media and people on the left basically excusing or ignoring these violent riots that were taking place this summer. It is true. There's violence across the whole country. Do you disavow yeah, the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now? There's that, riots that's, that, that's a myth. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because this is not a right his wing own, problem. This is, this is a left wing. This is a left wing. White supremacist. Antifa is an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not militia. I, I, I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is not generally speaking unruly. But fires have been started. There are always folks on the fringes of protest that do the things that uh, we don't. We don't like. A few people who break a few windows and burn a few cars. Discount people who are doing things to public property that, that they shouldn't be doing. It does have to be understood that this city has got, uh, for the last several years, an issue with police. So many good people out there who want change and who are demanding change. If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. Now, too many see the protests as the problem. No, the problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets. Persistent and poisonous inequities and injustice. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I think ending on the Chris Cuomo clip was probably the best idea because, of course, you may remember that was the shortest daily dose of stupid I've ever done in the history of the program. I said, here and literally just showed you a picture of the First Amendment. So Chris Cuomo 
good job on that one. But, I mean, you just saw example after example of people on the left in the media either saying, no, these riots aren't happening, it's, it's just a myth that's being propagated, or saying, no, these riots are happening, but it's okay that they're happening because, you know, violence is an acceptable form of this because of how egregious it is. Well, these people think it's pretty egregious. This is why you never cross that line. That's why you don't do it. Because once you've crossed that line, once you cross the line from speech into violence, you can say, well, yeah, I'm going to justify it because what happened was really, really bad, and that justifies my violence, right, guys? Well, everybody else could do that, too. That's why you don't cross that line. These Trump supporters, not excusing their behavior, I completely and, and wholly condemn them in every conceivable way, and they ought to go to jail for a very, very long time. But ultimately, when you boil it down, these Trump supporters feel like something happened to them that was just as egregious as what the uh, people in Black Lives Matter or Antifa feel was done to them. It still doesn't excuse the violence. Period. End of discussion. And I'm condemning the violence today because I've been condemning the violence that has happened because of Black Lives Matter and Antifa and Muslim extremists and so on and so forth. Violence is never the answer to engage in political speech. You just don't do it. It is domestic terrorism, and these guys are domestic terrorists. But this ultimately brings me down, and it's a great, it's good to end on this note, because the reason that I bring this up, the reason that I have done it in this way, and the reason that I've presented these points the way that I have is because ultimately what's going to need to happen here is if there is even a chance we can get back together, and I don't know that we can. I don't know that it's even possible for America to come together anymore. We may be past the point of no return, and the, the only way back is to hit rock bottom and to start recovering. I, I mean, that really may be the only, the only way out at this point. I hope it's not, but I frankly fear that it is that we are beyond the point that we can remain America and unite as a country. We, we may be past that point already. I really don't know. But whether we are or not, I know for a fact, there is no doubt in my heart, that we will be incapable of coming back together again until we agree on these fundamental principles. Unless we can agree on these four things, domestic terrorism is wrong no matter which side does it, that you can't blame people for the evil that other people engage in. Every man has to be held accountable only for his own mistakes, not the mistakes of other people or people that may like him. That the correct response to political disagreement is speech and not violence, that you don't cross that line, that you only engage in political speech to affect a political change. You do not engage in rioting or looting or violence. You don't scare or intimidate people, that you use your speech and your ability to persuade them to pull them over to your side. And then finally, that you cannot excuse violence or ignore violence on your side and then get a you know get all upset about it when somebody on the other side does it. Unless we agree on those four things, there is absolutely no way to unite. And I know that accepting those things is not like the magic bullet in the formula that's going to bring us all back together. I'm not saying that, that alone will do it. There's a lot of other principles we need to come back together on. But I know for a fact, if we can't agree on those four things, it is impossible for us to come together as a nation. We simply cannot do it. And so, if we can't even get to that bare minimum, our country is over as we know it. 
I mean, maybe there will be a region that still exists with the name America, but like the idea that we'll be still living under the same constitution and we'll still be the same country we were beforehand, that's simply not the case. If we can't unite on those, we've already gone past the point of no return. And I hate to say that, but yesterday was, was a day that makes me fear for my country. I've been afraid for it for a while now, but yesterday, you know, it, it really did shake me. And that's not something that's easy to do. But that's why it's so important, more important now than ever, that we remember those four things, and most importantly, the principles that are found in our Declaration of Independence. That's the thing that we need to be able to unite on, and until we can do that, we're done as a country. There, there is nothing left that we can do if we cannot get on the same page on those two things. So what we're going to do now is I have Shanna Chambly, who was actually there in D.C. while this was happening, and she's going to call in and give us a little update on what was going and give us sort of her perspective from where she saw it. So we'll do that, and we'll be back in just a second on Tactics. This is a News Radio 1440 podcast. And welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us here on Tactics, where speech isn't violence, tolerance isn't love, and disagreement isn't hate. Thank you so much for being with us on the program. As always, it is a pleasure to be with you. Make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook. That helps us combat the dark cyber overlords. Now, my next guest is somebody that I've had on the program many times. She's been on some of my live debate uh, coverages, but tonight she's actually not here in any of those capacities. It's primarily because she just happens to be an eyewitness to the events that were unfolding in the capital city last night. So now we go to, from U.S. Term Limits, Shanna Chambly. Uh, thank you so much for agreeing to be with us, Shanna. Uh, thank you for having me, Kayla. And, and as I was saying, and I know that you wanted to make this clear too, uh, you weren't actually there at the protest because you were protesting. You were just there and happened to be in D.C. and happened to witness some of these events unfolding, and that's why I asked you to come on. Yes, I, I was there in capacity for my work with U.S. term limits to mm -hmm. deliver plaques to our congressmen who have signed the pledge to support our congressional term limits resolution. And had I known that these kind of events would have been unfolding at the time that I would be in the city with five of my children, I would have probably chosen other dates. <laughs> right, which would make sense. Um, but, right. but the reason I did have you on, and I actually tried to get a, a few other people that were in Washington, D.C., I got in contact with Barry Moore and, and Tuberville's campaign and tried to see if, if they were available. But uh, I appreciate you coming on and giving us just some eyewitness testimony. So uh, I'm doing this because it's, it's spur of the moment and it's breaking news. Uh, I really have, like, nothing planned. I'm just going to, to get what your account was and what you saw. So just tell us kind of how everything started to unfold yesterday. Okay, well, throughout the day, myself, my husband, and five of our children were there doing our work of delivering plaques, and we were mainly at the Capitol area. I had friends who were down near the monument when Trump came and spoke, but um, mm -hmm. we were not there present for that portion of everything going on. But I, I had some communication with people that were there, and it all seemed to be calm and well. And we mostly tried to avoid the crowds for the fact that I had my children with me, and it made me a little nervous of having them right. involved in that big of a crowd and with everything going on and um but then later in the day of course the crowd moved you know they marched and moved toward the capital where we were um we did take a, a small ditch out and drove over out of the city to have lunch and then came back 
uh, to complete our meetings. And that's when we had to drive through the masses and get through everything where everybody was there. And I'm not sure, I haven't even had the time to look and see what kind of numbers the media reported, but there were tens of thousands of people just there on the Capitol lawn. And we weren't even sure of what exactly was transpiring at the time, but we happened to be on Independence Avenue there near the office buildings facing the Capitol at mm -hmm. the time of the breach. Um, we didn't know that the breach was happening until one of my children pulled it up on a live newsreel from their phones and was playing it out loud for us as it was happening. Mm -hmm. But we witnessed the police marching through in like a platoon fashion on foot with respirators on carrying tear gas mm -hmm. and um, making their way toward the Capitol. Um, the most notable thing that I like to point out is you know, of course, I have no idea what things look like on the inside base uh, other than what I've seen from media sources. I mean, I, right. I You've only, seen the same news coverage we have on that front. Right. Uh, I only know what I personally saw from the outside, which mm -hmm. was tens of thousands of people gathered on the steps, the lawn and in the streets. Um, terribly hard to drive through, by the way. <laughs> and, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to and, drive through D.C. on a normal day, so yeah. Uh, right, and understandable. this was definitely not a normal day. But the most notable thing, that, the takeaway that I had from that was tens of thousands of people standing there. The doors have been breached. It's being reported on the news that we're hearing as we're there on the ground. And those people didn't move. They all stood in place, even on the steps of which where the doors had been breached, there was not a mad rush of people going in. Mm -hmm. So there was a relatively small group of people that actually made their way in and they were not followed by masses of people. And I mean, I have personal opinions on, I mean, I, I know that there was probably people on various sides that made it in. I'm not sure who it was that instigated the getting in or exactly how they happened to breach totally secure doors of the building and then the chambers and the offices and that sort of thing with the kind of security that was in place. Right. But I do know that the majority of supporters there did not follow and we nowhere near any kind of majority and people continued to stand outside gathered. And even at that point being there during that moment, we didn't have a moment of feeling unsafe. And like I said, I had five of my children there and I was already on heightened alert of right, feeling right. like it could be a hairy situation and mm. it wasn't. So one thing that I wanted to ask about on that front, um, because I do think that that's valuable information, especially because we're looking at this from the standpoint of, you know, like you said, about tens of thousands of people there and then we have, I don't know, a few dozen people that go inside. Um, of course, that's not excusing it or saying that that's okay or anything like that, but it, but it is a, worthy of note that you have a, a very, very large crowd and then a very, very small minority of that crowd breaking in. But one thing that has been speculated back and forth from both sides is this is supposed to be an incredibly secure building. There's supposed to be very high security. What was your opinion on the gathering that day and things like capital security, police presence? Were they abundant? Did you think that it wasn't adequate for a crowd that size? Just what were your observations on that? Oh, my personal observations on that is that it was incredibly abundant um, to hmm. the extent that 
I had official business meetings within the Capitol and the office buildings for that day. Right. And they sent out notices to all of the staffers denying access to anyone who had official business, which was me. Mm-hmm. And even to some staffers, even badged staffers who had the ability to that work there were told that they could not enter into work. I was denied access to all buildings and the meetings that I was able to conduct had to be done outside with the congressman that I had meetings with actually braving the masses and what was going on to come outside and meet with me because I couldn't come to their office. Mm-hmm. They could not even personally escort me to their office. Wow. I mean, it's. It is so crazy, and, and this is the reason that it upset me so much, and you you and I have known each other for a while now. Like To me, the, the thing that just I, I couldn't get over is that watching this on the news and, and all these events unfold, this looks like a scene that would have happened in Beirut or Venezuela, you know, something that happens in a, a banana republic or a Muslim theocracy or some kind of dictatorship after an election, not something that happens in America. Is, is that an accurate understanding is it somewhat overblown because we're just getting a laser focus on the the breach that happened or how how was the entire city of of dc was it like that or how would you characterize it um actually you know throughout the beginning parts of the day before everything moved to the capitol if we were able like my one of my biggest worries had been finding parking you know even on a normal day in dc how hard that no i've I've done that so yes i can vouch for that (laughs) We even found parking a block and a half away from the office buildings where we needed to be. No issue. We Hmm. drove straight into the city, had no issues. Um, Actually, my son had made an observation as we were walking through, and he's like, okay, this is kind of an embarrassment. There's not that many people here. We didn't realize at that time that they were all gathered at at the Washington Monument and those grounds and of course when it made its way to where we were we realized just how massive it was right but um we navigated our way throughout the capital area where we needed to be to conduct our business as easily as normal on the outside of course we couldn't enter the buildings that we had planned to enter but um Mm. it didn't feel unsafe and even in the moment of that going on it it wasn't chaotic um we we were approached by one slightly unhinged guy but you know there's always one right (laughs) well that's true and you know just to be perfectly frank about it i'm not saying that that wouldn't have happened if that march hadn't been going on sometimes i'm approached by unhinged people just randomly in dc Um, so that that does happen you know um and but my my kids even laughed that off um we happened to be in the van at that time and we were trying to exit the city and we were having to drive through the masses of people and it took a while to get out and um that was at the same time period when we received the emergency alerts on our mm -hmm. phone that mayor browser had issued the curfew and that sort of thing but um so there was there was one mildly unhinged guy that was carrying a very tattered, torn, and dirty American flag on a pole that he was also dragging on the ground. And he was, every vehicle that became stopped, he was approaching the vehicle and screaming into the windows. Um, Well, a few expletives that I won't repeat, but... um, I appreciate that, this being a family show. (laughs) but But asking if we were patriots or communists. And, um... Let's just rolled up the window and we ignored him and 
once we were able to get through. I mean, there was no pushing or shoving on the van. There was no people, you know, th there was nothing that made me feel unsafe with my children. And even at the points when we got stopped in, in trying to get out, I would even exit the van and take pictures and that sort of thing without feeling at risk. Okay. Well, I appreciate you giving us that, that insight to sort of the, um, because, you know, of course, the focus, and, and I'm not blaming the news media. I mean, normally I'm, I'm pretty critical of them. But in this particular case, like them laser focusing on the breach and what happened and showing videos of that over and over again is not a bad thing. That's what they're supposed to do. Um, but I, I actually do feel a little bit better now knowing that it was pretty much uh, limited to that area and that building and, and the outer areas were not nearly as chaotic or, or problematic as the way you're describing them. Right. Well, I mean, even in the moment of that going on, people mm -hmm. were mingling about in the streets, in the way of vehicles, that sort of thing. I mean, just the the mass of people that were there, there just wasn't room to contain them all. So they were all kind of in the way. But there, there was no mass rush toward anything there. I mean, it was just it was a lot of people, but right. it, it didn't feel unsafe. Well, now I've heard a criticism of people on the the, the left, especially that have been saying that essentially uh, with one of their issues with all this and something that seems kind of fishy to them is that it seems as though, especially with this being such a, a secure building and it being a big day, uh, why is it that there was not a, a more ready response by the police and, and by like, why were people even able to get in? And you're somebody that travels around the country doing this. You've been to, you know, countless events and political uh, rallies and like I have. I mean, it's it's the same kind of thing. And I just want you to react to this and tell me if I'm off base here. Possibly, I'm not saying that this is absolutely true, but possibly one thing is th they're kind of used to Trump events. And this is really the first one where anything even remotely similar to this happens. I mean, usually when you when you go through and there's like a, a MAGA march or something, the streets are actually, weirdly enough, cleaner than they were when they took the streets. I mean, they're not only not breaking any laws, they're actually uh, cleaning up the streets when they do this. And so I'm not trying to, you know, excuse or gloss over anything like that. I'm just saying that do you think maybe because you've been to a lot of these events just like I have, the, the police maybe weren't as ready or weren't expecting this is because of that and because they're just accustomed to these things going off peacefully? have a hard time believing that they weren't prepared for this. I mean, it's DC. They're used to marches from all sides and protests. And the Capitol building is one of the most secure places that you can ever be. And right. I mean, I've been, I, mean, I've I been imagine there. the Pentagon would be about the only one that would be more so right. and maybe the White House. And so I, I would have a hard time believing that they weren't prepared for what was going on. And being that I was down at the street level, not there to see the actual breach of the doors happen, right. I still, I mean, I have my personal questions on how exactly that happened. The doors that they chose to go into, they're not the general, normal public access doors that you go into anyway. Mm -hmm. How were they opened? How, and I, I have seen some video, even video from a personal friend of mine, I, I won't name this person, he's probably going to face some repercussions for having been one of the people that entered um, and happens to be an elected official in a state that I work. Okay. Um, that 
it his personal video showed him casually speaking with the Capitol Police as he walked in videoing. And hmm. the people, I mean, they walked in, they were loud, and it was a little chaotic. He actually began screaming at them in the video to not destroy things, that this was their house, and that he was there just simply documenting this for media purposes of what was going on. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it was a little strange. I don't know what other word to give it, but it seemed so easy for them to walk in. I mean... I was an official business visitor with multiple scheduled appointments in these buildings and I couldn't get into them. I couldn't get into them with a congressman at arm with me saying, Mm. I want this person to come to my office. Yet this small insurrection of people were able to that easily walk in. And when you look at even the mainstream media videos of them going in once on the inside, they were walking, staying within the ropes, and yeah, there is there is that one video of them like smashing in a window to get into a door. But if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that an internal door? Like it's a door that leads from one yeah. room to another, not the external door. Yeah, that that was an internal door. So they had already breached the outer doors at that point. Okay. Um, now I don't, you know, want to go all Alex Jones on you here. So I'm just, I really am just asking the question because I don't know. Um, do you think that it's it's possible that this was somewhat planned and the police just kind of intentionally backed off and let it happen? Like, and if that happened, like I don't I don't even know how that would have happened. But um, do you think that that's at least a possibility here? Oh, I, I, it's it, it's now 2021 after the year 2020 that we've just gone through. I guess right. anything is possible. Um, I I have some. Oh, I have personal lost. thoughts yeah, go ahead. on that, but um, I guess any anything is possible. And I, my two, two trains of thought go through whether whether the police felt so overwhelmed and unable to control masses that they chose to stand back to protect themselves, or whether it was somewhat allowed to happen. I'm not quite sure. I mean, it does seem odd to me, and, and this is just my thoughts on it. I, I don't know that police did that. It, it's quite possible that that is not the case, and I'm not trying to spread rumors or say that I've got some kind of inside track or anything, but it does seem very odd that a building that is this secure, where they knew that there was going to be uh, marchers and protesters that, um, I mean, this is, this is the Capitol building. How do you not make a stand here um, if you're the police officers and, and like, have a barricade and... I, I don't know, I, and it, it, frankly, it bothers me because um, there's only two answers or two possibilities that I can come up with in my own brain, and either one of them are good. And one is that the they were just kind of taken by surprise and not really prepared for that, which that's not good. Um, no, and and I'm frankly, I have a hard time swallowing that. And then the only other explanation I can come up with is the one that I'm kind of speculating on right now, which is that for some reason they were either ordered to stand down or just took it upon themselves to, to take a step back and let it happen. And, and I don't like either one of w- the implication of either one of those uh, trains of thought. So, Well, I can tell you that today in the city that their demeanor was seemingly different than it was yesterday. With uh, When we were in town today to have a meeting with one of the congressmen that agreed to come outside and meet with us, mm-hmm. um, they were erecting 
um, gates or fencing around the entire Capitol grounds perimeter. And so right so not now, even just today, this building, the whole Capitol, they were, they were the, building the, a perimeter. The whole Capitol perimeter, the lawn, everything is now completely fenced off to where you cannot enter the lawn area at all. You can't walk through from the House offices to the Senate offices without taking the sidewalks on the street. And mm -hmm. then they put up smaller, more removable um, barriers around each of the House office buildings to where you can't eat now you can't even approach the steps of them and you can only be on the sidewalks outside of them which i mean i hate to say this but based on what happened yesterday probably an appropriate response um yeah uh, uh, um it, it's a little too little too late but <laughs> well yes obviously but um all right any any parting thoughts or anything that uh, any interesting observations from the other day that you'd like to point out or maybe something that's happened today um, no, I will just say that I mean, we did see a few. Um, well, today, for instance, they had fully deployed the um, National Guard. Mm -hmm. And at every office building and around the perimeter of the Capitol, about every 20 to 30 feet, there was a stationed guard member. And each of them standing at risk and facing the building for which they were assigned. And I mean, they were all very pleasant. We, we walked through many of them, thanked them for their service. and. Um, I, I will say that they were, in fact, wearing body armor, and I had seen previous report where the mayor was asking that they not be armed or wearing body armor. I did not witness any of them actually being armed, but they were wearing body armor, so at least they were protected, and I was glad for that. Yeah, I was going to say, that seems like a very bizarre order to me to not wear body armor after something like this. I... It, it, it did for me, too, and that was the reports that I had seen where that was what Mayor Bowser had requested, was that they be unarmed and without body armor. I mean, after yesterday, I'd be cool with them walking out in a full, like, night suit, you know, <laughs> steel plating and everything. Uh, I will say the Capitol Police were very insistent on nobody crossing the street and getting anywhere near the, the um, fencing that was being put up around the perimeter. And we witnessed even a member of the media that went over to take pictures that was screamed at and ran back across the road and told that he could not approach the fencing. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm glad that they're being, you know, pretty careful about that now. I, I wish that, you know, we had had a similar response yesterday. And again, I, I don't know why that wasn't there, but I hope that we will find that out in the next few days. Um, before we do go, though, you know, since you were nice enough to be generous with your time and speak to us, uh, just give us a quick plug for U.S. Term Limits and tell us a little bit about what y'all do. Okay, well, my main job is working through the state legislatures on the purpose of a single limited topic Article 5 convention to be able to one day establish term limits on Congress via constitutional amendment, as mm -hmm. per what the Supreme Court told us, would it would have to be a constitutional amendment. Right, because they ain't going to put term limits on themselves. Sorry, guys, it just ain't going to happen. Right, and our home state of Alabama here passed that resolution in mm -hmm. 2018 and has been phenomenal for us. And one of my meetings this week was with our, you know, my, my now personal representative, uh, Barry Moore, and he had been instrumental in getting that passed through the Alabama state legislature as part of those efforts. And he is now a congressional pledge signer, and we presented his plaque to him yesterday. And, um, mm -hmm. And he will now be signing on to work on HJR 12, which is being led by Ralph Norman of South Carolina on the congressional level in hopes that Congress will 
choose to term limit themselves, and that is yet to be seen. Well, I frankly don't hold out a lot of hope for that, but I do genuinely, with, I mean, I'd love for that to happen. I just don't think it's going to anytime soon. But thank you so much for your time, Shanna, and you and your, your family stay safe. And, um, you know, hopefully that when you do finally get back to the, uh, the Yellowhammer State, we can get together and do some more shooting because they closed my favorite gun range. And so... <laughs> Yes. Well, I'll be, well, my house can now be your favorite gun range. All right. Well, well that's how we'll handle it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shanna Chambly, uh, for, for doing this with us with uh, U.S. term limits. And like I said, just uh, you and your family will be in my prayers, and I'd ask everybody to pray for you and also pray for the nation. Thank you, Caleb. All right. Uh, that was, of course, as I said, Shanna Chambly with U.S. term limits, and we'll be back in just a minute on Tactics. Tactics with Caleb Colquitt, only on News Radio 1440 and NewsRadio1440.com. And welcome back, gang. Thanks so much for being with us here on Tactics Radio. We appreciate you being with us as always. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or anywhere else, really, make sure to like and subscribe to the channel because that lets us bring more conservative content your way and makes America a better place. So, and. <laughs> Lord knows we need a lot of that right now. Of course, we've been talking really the whole show about the break-in the other day that happened when the Electoral College was certified for now President-elect Biden, which, I mean, he's technically been President-elect since the certification process a few days ago uh, when the Electoral College was final finalized. But I want to talk about the political fallout of what happened yesterday. So we've talked a lot about the event itself. Now we're going to talk about the reaction, where do we go from here, that kind of thing. And the reaction is important for a number of reasons. And so what we're going to do is, I think this is a good place to start. We're going to look at the reaction of various people involved in this. And first of all, of course, we're going to look at President Trump. So what happened the other day, um, I would have liked for it to have been done more quickly. But honestly, it was not very long at all after this started taking place that the White House put together a, I guess they got together with their media people and their filming crew. They went out into what appears to be the Rose Garden or at least somewhere outside it, at the White House and they went ahead and filmed a quick video message. It's only about a minute long. We're gonna watch it in its entirety because it's not very long at all. This is what President Trump said specifically to the rioters that broke into the Capitol building yesterday and just kind of in general so this was the president's response. Take a look. I know your pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. But we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. It's a good reaction in several ways. Because it was very quick. 
didn't take the president very long at all to come out with this, and they did issue it over the internet. I, I don't know if they like got in touch with TV organizations, national news, that kind of thing, or they just did it kind of on their own platform, which they're probably, frankly, more accustomed to. But either way, this little short video that he did, it does what it's supposed to do, which is it gives the message, it tells people what is on the president's mind, and it lets him know that, no, you don't, uh, you are not supported by me. You're, but the reason that it wasn't a great response, because if I were grading this, I think C- minus is about as high as I can give it. I, I think it probably deserves a, a C- minus or, or maybe even a D. It's, it's not a fail. It's not an F. The president does not fail this class, you know, if, if we're looking at it from a grading standpoint, because it does do what he needs to do. It, it does convey that this is bad, I'm against this violence, and the reason that I, I sort of lean more towards C than D is because it also made a good point to anybody that was listening, which is, look, I'm the law and order guy. You can't say that you're my supporter, basically, is, is kind of what is implied here. You can't say that you are my supporter if you're going to disobey police officers and do bad things. And you've seen what has happened to other people that do bad things. So he makes a couple of good points trying to sort of appeal to the better angels of those engaged in criminal behavior and domestic terrorism yesterday by breaking into the Capitol. So good on the president on that. He did what he needed to do. But the reason that this is not a slam dunk is because he also kind of doesn't want to 100% condemn the people. He, he talks to them like they, they are his supporters. And I think that this is the single, I don't know about single greatest, but this, this is one of the biggest problems that I have always had with President Trump. President Trump, because he doesn't have a strong moral center and... It's just a personal failing of his. He tends to define good and evil as do they support me or do they not support me? Because love him or hate him, you have to admit, Trump is kind of the center of his own universe, you know? It's just kind of the dude that he is. And there have been times where Trump has been surprisingly self selfless on some things, and, and I try to give him credit for that. He is capable of selfless action. But it ain't real often. And normally, the president's ego just kind of places him at the center of the universe, and so if they support me, they must not really be a terrible person. Now, sometimes this tendency has actually helped him out. Like when he has said, you know, I'll condemn the Proud Boys, but, and I think he's thinking in the back of the mind, these are people that actually do kind of support me, so they can't be that bad. Um, but, you know, I don't know that much about them, and I, I don't get, you know, he had a hesitancy to condemn them, which I, I think is okay. I'm not really a big fan of the Proud Boys, but the point is I, I kind of understand that hesitancy because he's like, I don't know, they like me, and I just don't know a whole lot about them, so whatever. But there are also times where this tendency tends to get Trump in trouble. I think part of the reason that he was not stronger on condemning, for example, the people at the Unite the Right rally sooner is because there is somewhere in the back of his mind where he's like, well, they support me, so they can't be all bad. And I think that he had the same tendency on the campaign trail. When people would ask him about the alt-right, he'd kind of wink and nod at the alt-right, even though they were bad people. I mean, really bad people, some of the worst people. 
But the president has a hard time doing that because in his mind, if they support me, there must be some good in them, you know, because, I mean, look at me. Of course you should support me. And so because of that, he has a hard time really understanding that there are, there can be really bad people that support you. Look, I, 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 you know, have an ego myself. I get that. But even I can admit that there's probably people that like my program that are not really good, reputable people. I don't assume that someone is, because they are a fan of mine, they must be a good person. And the president really never really got over that. So I think that that's part of the president's problem here. It's not a terrible response. It does the bare minimum. It does what he needs to do. And then it goes a little bit above the bare minimum, which is why I'd say probably more like a C- minus than a D, is it also goes to the point of saying, look, you guys have got to stop this. This is not something that someone is supporting me should say. We, we love our law enforcement. We, we support them. You got to listen to them. And, and we have to have peace. And it has to be done in a lawful manner. And th- basically saying this is not the way to handle this. The president is not the world's greatest communicator, especially when it comes to these situations, partly because I think he, he wants to, to placate some, and, and maybe you could even give him a little extra grace here and say that he was trying to talk to them, in, you know, pleading with them as somebody that would would like him because maybe he thinks you catch more flies with honey as opposed to just saying, you're not supporters of mine and also uh, screw you and also stop doing what you're doing because... That is kind of a weird thing to say. Be like, no, you. I don't like you. I want to distance myself from you. Also, I'm going to make this request to you, and please uh, do what I ask you to do. Granted, that is that that is a difficult position to be in, but frankly, I think it's more what I was talking about that he just kind of has in the back of his head. Well, if they're one of my supporters, they got to be good people. So um, I think that that was really the, the biggest issue that we're looking at here, but uh, Trump's response overall... The fact that he just talks to them like, you know, you're important to me and you're special and I like you and I'm just asking, this is a bad decision, you just need to go home and kind of talks about it like there's not going to be repercussions. I think that it would have served Trump far better to come out swinging and not even so much talk to these people doing the rioting, but more appealing to everybody else that is his supporter and saying, no, these people are not my supporters. I do not support them. What they're doing is wrong and criminal. They are domestic terrorists and we will charge them to the fullest extent of the law. I think that's what should have happened there. And you can disagree with my approach or whatever, but I think that would have done a, a great deal in distancing the president from these people, and maybe they would have you know, taken a step back or whatever. But even if they didn't, since this obviously isn't what ended what happened the other day in the Capitol, I don't think that you could make the case that, well, if he had done that, then they wouldn't have listened to him. Well, they weren't going to listen to him anyway. These are crazy people <laughs> that are doing this, so... Ultimately, I think that that would have been the better approach. That would have been the way that, that Trump, you know, knocks this one out of the park. It, it's a lackluster response. It does what he needs to do, but that's about all it does. So let's go ahead and then compare that to President-elect Biden's response. The scenes of chaos at the Capitol do not reflect a true America, do not represent who we are, what we're seeing are a small number of extremists dedicated to lawlessness. This is not dissent. It's disorder. It's chaos. It borders on sedition. And it must end now. I call on this mob to pull back and allow the work of democracy to go forward. You've heard me say before in different contexts, the words of a president matter. 
no matter how good or bad that president is. At their best, the words of a president can inspire. At their worst, they can incite. Therefore, I call on President Trump to go on national television now to fulfill his oath and defend the Constitution and demand an end to this siege. So there's a lot in that that I actually agree with. The two big issues I take with it is first of all, he says that there's a lot of things a president can do to incite. Now, the overarching premise that Joe Biden is trying to communicate here is actually a pretty good one, which is when you're in the bully pulpit, when you are the president of the United States, your words impact people. That's fair. That is correct. But he goes a little too far and basically suggests, because he uses the word incite, that was not a word that was chosen at random. It's obviously done for a reason. He's suggesting there that the president is inciting a riot and committing a crime. Look, I, I was looking at the president's statements. I, it's, it's tough. And he definitely says we're going to, you know, he uses combative rhetoric, but he uses it in the context of rhetoric. In other words, we're saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to go out and, and we're going to, uh, you know, win this fight. Okay, well, he's talking about a rhetorical fight there. He's not saying, hey, go storm the Capitol building. And we'll get into that a little bit in a second. But Joe Biden is kind of trying to suggest that without coming out and full on saying it. But he definitely hints at it a little bit. So that was my first big complaint with what he was saying, even though I agreed with most of it. The second is... With what Joe Biden's saying, I think that this statement would probably be about a B minus, something like that, because, I mean, the fact that Joe Biden can't help it, he's basically a walking corpse at this point. He's like, and, uh, uh, um, president, words matter, uh, corn pop. I mean, yeah, okay, Joe Biden's not the greatest rhetorician anymore, and so his his display alone, partly just because he's, he's not great at this, would probably smack him down to a B, at least. But the other part, and the, the inciting would, would knock him down, but the, the bigger part of this is, if you're asking me on that content alone, like I had no idea who the heck Joe Biden was, that I've, I've never heard of him before, and I just pop in and I watch, it's like, okay, this guy's the president-elect, this, uh, this is going to replace the current president, this is how he handles it. Yeah, it's probably about a B, because there's some things that he says in there that are true, and it's, it's not a, a terrible response. The reason that I think this goes all the way to an F is because of the blatant hypocrisy that goes on here. And I think you saw that in my, my montage. We actually saw President Trump and now President-elect Biden going back and forth with one another in that first debate. You may recall that. And then Trump says, why doesn't Joe Biden just denounce Antifa? And Joe Biden laughs and says, Antifa, that's, that's an idea. That's not even an organization trying to run cover for people engaging in violence for political ends. Those are domestic terrorists, too. And Joe Biden said nothing about the riots for like four months, hid in his basement, didn't say a word about it. The first time that anyone actually asked him about it was the president on the debate because the media won't do their freaking jobs and ask him about it. And these are people that supported him. These are people on the left. You know, they may not be all 
there were some. They may not all be wearing like Biden 2020 stickers, but there were some of them that were. And these are clearly people that spring more from the left, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, that kind of thing. Nobody held him accountable for that. And for Joe Biden to get on his soapbox and say, I demand that the president, I mean, that was way too enthusiastic for Joe Biden. I demand the president denounce, get on national TV, denounce television studio, uh, denounce rioters, insurgents, something, corn pop. Like, if, if Joe Biden had done that, and that probably would have been about the quality of that speech, um, if Joe Biden had done something akin to that, uh, and, and he just didn't have this history of not doing exactly what he's asking the president to do and, and trying to come out with this strong statement and be like, I demand that you do this immediately. Okay, well, where were you, Joe Biden, for the first four months of the BLM riots and didn't say a dang thing? And when you finally did come out and denounce them, you wouldn't denounce them by name. You wouldn't call a spade a spade and say, this is Antifa. You tried to pretend like it wasn't Antifa. You would never say that Black Lives Matter were responsible for it. And then, on top of all that, the only time that you actually did come out and say something to denounce the violence and say how wrong it was, was about five seconds after you realized it was hurting you in the polls. So that's why it's hard for me to take this from Joe Biden. That statement in a vacuum, and I had no idea who Joe Biden is, not a terrible statement, not, you know, a, a home run, but not a, not a terrible statement, probably better than Trump's, honestly. But the fact that it's Joe Biden saying it and trying to come out and look like the strong man when he's the guy that was completely complacent about it, and then even when he did actually come out and denounce it, wouldn't do it by name because he was afraid of alienating his supporters. I'm sorry, I can't take that from Joe Biden when that's, the context of this conversation and looking at their their responses. But for those of you who don't know, Facebook and Twitter have actually sup suspended President Trump over this. And that's really bad. Like, I, I don't think that a social media organization, especially when they're a communications division, should be shutting down the president. And by the way, I get that they're they're free private companies. They, they have the, I mean, you guys know I'm a libertarian, a little libertarian, but a libertarian nonetheless. Um, I believe that Facebook and Twitter have the right to spend accounts of whoever they want to. They could say, I don't like the fact that, Caleb, you have a beard, therefore you're out. Like, they can do that. It's dumb, but they could do it if they want to. But it is stupid for a communication organization to say to a sitting president of the United States, we're just not going to let him use this method of communication. And by the way, I would have said exactly the same thing if Fox News had been like, yeah, you know, we're just... You know, not going to carry the address by President Obama or the State of the Union. We're just not going to let him use our venue because we don't like the guy. That would be wrong. And I'm consistent on that. I'm not saying that they should hand over the mic whenever they ask for it. But if it's the President of the United States saying that he's now barred from this platform and we're not going to let him get that information out, because here's the thing. We've already seen, and we just saw the reaction, President Trump is calling for there to be non-violence. He is saying that we should not engage in this sort of thing. So if that's the case, wouldn't you want more of his supporters hearing him say that if you were trying to avoid violence? This isn't about avoiding violence. This isn't about calming things down. This is about one thing and one thing only. They hate the president, they can't stand him, and they've been looking for an excuse for years at this point to try to get him off of their platform 
they finally found one that they feel like they can they can use it to justify having him not on their platform anymore. That's really all it boils down to because you've got to know that it just burns up the 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 higher ups at Twitter, which is a, a very left leaning organization. The fact that President Trump has such a popular Twitter account, it's one of the primary ways that he communicates with people, that, that's got to just be driving them up a wall. And uh, you know that that's been something that's been an issue for them for years. They've been looking for an excuse for a long time to get rid of him. Now they kind of feel like they can do it. And the thing is, it would be bad enough for them to do that. But if you think that is going to stop with Trump, you are living in a fantasy world. It's not going to stop with Trump. They have no intention of letting this thing stop with President Trump. It will go on to you. They will ban Trump, and they will also ban anybody that even suggests that there might be a, a different way to look at the ballots, that, that even suggests that this election wasn't 100% pure and pristine and there was any voter fraud whatsoever. They will go after people that hold opinions they do not like. They will refer to people, and, and they already have done this kind of censorship before, uh, when it's things like the, uh, the Hunter Biden story. They're pushing a story that is inconvenient for them or that they do not like, even if it is legitimate, even if we find out that the FBI has been investigating it for two years. Doesn't matter. They don't like that you are pushing the story, so if you do it, they will say that you're violating the community standards and ban you off of that platform. This is not going to end well, and it sets a very bad precedent. But I know a lot of you are probably sitting there and going, when we look at the political fallout of this, why? Why is it that the left is so, like, freaking out about this? Well, there's two reasons, and the first one is fairly obvious. They have such a disdain for Trump, they will use literally any opportunity that they find to bash him and or his supporters. I mean, there's such a disdain for anybody that disagrees with them, that especially when it comes to President Trump or people that support President Trump, they will use any opportunity that they can find to try to use that to attack them. That's certainly true. That's obvious. Here's the second one that you might not have thought of. Remember, as I have said many, many, many times, the left is not an opposing political ideology. It is an alternate religion to Christianity. Ultimately, that's what it is. If that's the case, what does attacking the government symbolize? The government is their temple. It is the church where their god, the government, dwells. And because of that, they had no problem when BLM was burning down churches, and that's not hyperbole, it literally happened in D.C., the same city that we're talking about right now. And it was dismissed and, you know, not talked about and ignored by the mainstream media. See, they're fine with them burning down a sacred place that's important to Christians. But the second one of their temples gets ransacked, the second that one of their religious holy sites is attacked, they go into warrior mode. That's why this is being portrayed as such a big deal. And I'm not saying it's not a big deal. It is a very big deal. I've done literally an entire show about this at this point. So obviously I think it's important, and obviously I think that what happened yesterday was disgusting. But the reason that they are at a whole other level about the seriousness of this than even I am is because their God is government. It is the altar upon which they worship, 
And the ultimate god is a centralized federal government. Well, really, the ultimate god is the UN, but we'll get on that, to that in another. This is one of their big gods, because, you know, they're polytheistic as well. And because of that, you attack to the place where their god lives. And so the same way that if you attack Mecca, the Muslims are all going to get mad at you because in their mind that's a holy site. If you, if you attack Jerusalem, the Jews are all going to get mad because in their mind that's the city that, that God lives in. Well, to them, their God lives in the halls of Congress. That is their sacred site, and when you attack their God, they're going to come after you with everything that they've got. That's why this is such a big deal to them. You have, a ch you have attacked their chapel, you have attacked their temple, and in extension, you have attacked them and their God. That's why they're all up in arms today. Let's go ahead and go to the Daily Dose of Stupid. Now, you've messed it up. <laughs> You're stupid. And for today's Daily Dose of Stupid, uh... There was a lot of stupid going on, so it was hard to narrow it down. But I think the stupidest thing that happened the other day, you got to give that to Bernie Sanders. Uh, this is a tweet that was issued by him the other day. You can see here. The man directly responsible for the chaos of today is Donald Trump, who has made it clear that he will do anything to remain in power, including insurrection and inciting violence. Trump will go down in history as the worst and most dangerous president in history. A little repetitive there with the use of the word history, Bernie, but, you know, you made your point. Now, this is stupid. But Bernie is not the only person doing this. I mean, you could... Just about all of the blue check marks yesterday of people on the left were doing this routine. The media did it over and over again. I saw a lot of people that are just friends of mine on social media doing this, that, that were on the left, that, well, because people that support Trump were doing this, then it's Trump's fault that this is taking place. They, they were doing this left and right. So the question is, why did I pick Bernie Sanders? Why, out of all the people that I could have used as an example, did I specifically select Bernie Sanders as the stupidest person that could have said this? Because for everyone else saying it, it's just stupid. We talked about this at the top of the show. Those, you remember those four things that I talked about that we all need to agree on? The fourth one was, you cannot excuse or ignore violence on your side and decry it on the other. So somebody on the left, like Bernie Sanders, um, you know, blame, and, and number two, blaming somebody else for the evil that another person does. So he's breaking two of those four things that we were talking about there. I mean, that's dumb, because it's been a hallmark of Western civilization for a long time that you only blame people for the bad that they do. That's how this works. You blame a person for bad things that they do, but you don't blame that person for bad things another person does. So that would be stupid no matter who it is. The reason it is so incredibly stupid for Bernie Sanders, of all people, to say it is because Bernie Sanders once had a campaign worker, so not just a supporter or somebody that voted for Bernie Sanders, a person that literally worked on Bernie Sanders' campaign. You may recall, because I covered this story myself on News Radio 1440, and I had then-Senator Luther Strange, this is before Doug Jones was installed, come on the show and talk about his experience and being you know, in D.C. when this happened. You had a Bernie Sanders supporter go out and try to murder about a tenth of Congress, all Republicans. 
somebody that went up to somebody said, hey, are those Democrats or Republicans practicing on that softball field? And he said, those are Republicans. And so what that person did was went and got his gun and tried to kill as many of them as humanly possible. Shot three of them and nearly killed Steve Scalise, who was the majority whip at the time. And actually, Mo Brooks... Um, you know, was kind of the hero of that story, our own Mo Brooks from District 5 of Alabama. So you may recall that story. And do you remember what my reaction and the reaction of literally every other conservative I heard that day of any notoriety or, you know, prominence? You remember what every single one of them said? Yeah, this is terrible, but it's not Bernie Sanders' fault. And it wasn't. You can only blame people for their bad actions. You can't blame from the, for the bad actions of other people. And this is the way that we need to operate. We need to be able to hold on to this moral principle. That Bernie Sanders, if he is going to hold this standard of, well, Trump says things that are inflammatory, and that because of that, as Bernie Sanders said in his tweet, that this is the person that is responsible for it. I mean, you can uh, look at the tweet again. You can see here that Bernie Sanders specifically says that he is directly responsible for the chaos and says that he, uh, you know, has been involved in surrection and inciting violence. So, I mean, it doesn't get a lot, it doesn't really get more clear cut than that. He's laying the blame there at Donald Trump's feet, but it's specifically dumb for Bernie Sanders to do that because he's had his supporters before engage in violence against other people and he took no blame for it. And by the way, he shouldn't. I don't blame Bernie Sanders for that. I'd never blame Bernie Sanders for that. I didn't do that when it happened. But you also can't turn around and then blame Donald Trump for this if you're not going to blame Bernie Sanders for that. They are both cases of a politician's ardent supporters engaging in domestic terrorism and using the target of that as, as things that they don't like. In Bernie Sanders' case, it was the Republicans. In Donald Trump's case, it was the certification of the Electoral College. Those were the targets, and these were people that supported them. And I've heard several people try to justify the, the try to justify this or try to make the case that this is different. That what happened with Bernie Sanders, that can't be laid at Bernie Sanders' feet, but this can absolutely be laid at Donald Trump's feet. I've yet to hear a good argument for it, but the most common one that I've heard is, well, yeah, but Trump's rhetoric was so over the top. Did he call for violence? Well, no, but, well, I'm sorry. But you don't understand. Trump's rhetoric was so inflammatory, and he was saying that the election was stolen, and he made these people feel like they didn't have uh, any other way to express themselves. Okay, still not Donald Trump's fault. And if we're going to play that game, also remember that Bernie Sanders routinely, I mean, pretty much on a daily basis on Twitter, and I know because I follow him on Twitter and I see him, you know, as much as anybody. He and AOC are like always at the top of my Twitter feed. Uh, Bernie Sanders routinely says that the Republicans are killing people because of their stances on things like global warming and the 1%. And when he says that we are the only industrialized country that does not have universal health care, he usually does so. And in conjunction with that, blames Republicans for people dying because they can't get health care. He does this all the time. Now, that's disgusting, and it's wrong, but it's still not a call to violence. It's not right that Bernie Sanders says that people have blood on their hands because they do not have universal health care, Medicare for all, or whatever new catchy phrase he has rebranded as this week. But the point is, Bernie Sanders engages in inflammatory rhetoric all the time. 
which shouldn't be surprising. He's a socialist revolutionary and always has been. He doesn't shy away from that. The point is, you cannot hold Donald Trump to this standard if you're not willing to hold Bernie Sanders to the same standard. And if Bernie Sanders is going to lay the blame directly at Donald Trump's feet, then he has to take responsibility for the crazy actions of people that support him as well, and he does not want to make that bargain. But ultimately, the only person that we can blame is the person that actually took the bad action because speech isn't violence. It's one of the maxims of the show. This is a idea that has been around since the Law of Moses. It goes all the way back to the Torah. Each man is only responsible for his own sins. It's been a staple of Western civilization. Always has been. This is part of common law that you cannot try an individual for crimes that another person committed. Each man is only responsible for his own actions. The reason that this is something that is hard for people on the left to comprehend is because Bernie Sanders is a collectivist, like a lot of people on the left are. It comes from the, spe the whole speech is violence mentality. The reason that they believe that is they, they believe that people don't really have autonomy, that we all operate as a group, that we're a collective. And because of that, if you have bad leaders, like in their mind, President Trump, that are telling people to do things that are not good, whether it's called a violence or not, that person who is the leader is responsible. And people like Hotley and Cruz, who I believe it was Senator Tim Coons, has actually called for them to resign because they oppose the election process. They, they oppose the Electoral College certification. They really do think of this as people that don't have autonomy just following their leaders because they're incapable of making decisions themselves. They see humanity as cattle. They see them as just cogs in the machine that have no control over their own decisions. And because of that, the people that represent them, those are responsible for their actions in the same way that they see themselves as the benevolent shepherds that are going to take care of us. That's how the left views human beings. This is consistent with that. That's why they feel that it's appropriate to blame other people for things that their supporters do. It really does all go back to collectivism because they do not see people as individuals with their own autonomy. And that really kind of brings me to the point that I've been trying to make the entire show, which is we have to be better than this. People on the right, people that purport to be conservatives, have to be better than this. You know that scene in The Dark Knight Rises, or no, sorry, The Dark Knight, not The Dark Knight Rises, where um, there, you know, Batman has been pushed to his limit, and the Joker is trying to get him to kill somebody because he's trying to put him in a situation where he has to kill, he has to break his one rule, and the Joker actually tries to get Batman to kill him. That's what the left has been doing. And yesterday, the right gave in. Because you may remember at the, the Batman Begins, the first movie in that trilogy, that Ra's al Ghul tries to get Batman to kill someone. And he said, compassion is not a sentiment your enemy is going to share. And Bruce Wayne says, that's what makes it so important. It makes me different than them. You cannot become that which you are fighting. Because if you are, then the fight is pointless. If you become the dragon that you're trying to slay, then what good is that? Now they just have to deal with another dragon. And that's what Batman understood. The difference is, Batman 
he ended that fight by taking the Joker in, but not killing him. He didn't give in to the rule. He, he didn't break his own rule. He didn't take the Joker's life because it was important to him to have something that differentiated him from the psychopaths that he fought. Something that keeps him from becoming that. The reason that I'm so scared today and the reason that I am really bothered by what I saw is I am genuinely terrified that the right is starting to become the left. Like the Joker, the left has been poking and prodding and shoving and trying everything that they can do to get the right to react in kind, to do things the way that the left does. So far, they've been completely unsuccessful. And this goes all the way back to, you know, 2012, 2015, when different acts of violence on the political left have happened. And so far, the right has been really good about not doing that. Yesterday, they weren't. Yesterday, they looked just like a bunch of Antifa BLM thugs. Their actions were the same. And they acted the same. Punching police officers, breaking down doors. That's what they do. If we're not really, really careful, it will be really easy for us to devolve into the very thing that we're trying to defeat. I don't want to see that happen. And because I don't want to see that happen, we need to hold to the Bible. So let's go to the chaplain's report. In 1775, the Continental Congress created the Chaplain Corps. Under the command of General George Washington, each soldier was required to attend worship service every Sunday. While other armies advanced on their feet, Washington's troops advanced on their knees. It's time for the Chaplain's Report with Caleb Colquitt on tactics. Chaplain's report today is going to come from the Book of Romans. We're going to temporarily suspend our series on 1 Samuel. We'll probably pick it up next week. I'm just, you know, trying to, to get a feel for all this. And I think that today we, we needed something that kind of directly pertains to what we've been talking about. We really need some Bible today. And that's why we're going to dive straight into it. So let's go ahead and look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Paul writes here, Love must be free from hypocrisy. Detest what is evil, cling to that which is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. The opening part of that verse, the part where Paul is saying that love needs to be free from hypocrisy, I mean, that's what we were just talking about. For love to be free from hypocrisy, it has to be impartial. You have to extend love and extend grace and extend compassion to those you disagree with. You have to be willing to do the right thing and to treat people well, to treat people like Christ, even when that person doesn't deserve it, because that's how we were treated when Christ first came to us. We were broken. We were sinners in need of a Savior. And had He treated us like we deserved, 
he wouldn't have died for our sins. We are here today. We have a chance at salvation because Jesus treated us like we didn't deserve. He treated us better than we deserved. I get that what's going on in the country right now, there are people that will pick up a, a skateboard or a brick and hurl it through a window, and I get that the natural reaction to that is to find that same brick and hurl it through their window at their house. But that's not the right way to handle it. That's what it means to love without hypocrisy. That your love isn't partial. That you treat that person just like you would your own brother or your own mother or your own father or your savior. It's the only correct response. That even when they treat you horribly, you love them. That's what Jesus called us to do, and that's what Paul is reiterating to the Christians there at Rome. And he gives a little bit of guidance there in the very next sentence where he says, detest that which is evil and cling to that which is good. See, I'm really glad that he pointed that out because I think that there are a lot of Christians who mean well. But normally what happens is we kind of think that as long as we're not sinning or doing bad things, that we're, we're kind of good in God's sight. That, that we're doing what we're supposed to do. Are we called to not sin or are we called to be light and salt to the world? Now certainly, part of the reason that we don't need to sin is because that will prevent us from being that light and salt in the world. But do we really think that God will be pleased with us if our big accomplishment in life is, Hey, I didn't sin! Okay, good. What did you do for the kingdom? It's good that you didn't sin. It's good that you were saved and, and you found forgiveness of your sins and you tried to refrain from sin from then on. But that's not what we're called to do. We have to detest evil, stand against it, hate it. It's the one thing that we are supposed to hate. And we're supposed to cling to that which is good. So it's not enough to just not engage in evil. We have to be the opponents of evil, to fight it, to stand against it. It's not enough just to not like evil. We have to abhor it and do everything we can to keep as little of it as possible in this world, to snuff it out at every turn when possible. But then there's the second part of that, which is cling to that which is good. You see, it would be... I guess theoretically possible to just abstain from sin without doing the good things that we're talking about, the, the things that God commands us to do, you know, to love our neighbor and to, to help people out and to spread the gospel and, and to do his will, so on and so forth. I guess it would be theoretically possible to do that, but realistically, there's not a human being in this world that could just stop sinning but not do all the good stuff that is commanded. First of all, because that's kind of a sin of omission anyway, but secondly, because that good stuff is going to keep us from being engaged in the bad. It's so easy to backslide when we're not busy about doing the Father's work. A great example is David with Bathsheba. You know, when it's talking about how he looked at her, did you know that the context of that looking at her and seeing Bathsheba and starting to lust after her and want her to the point to where he eventually murdered her husband so that he could have her? Do you know how that started? David was supposed to be in the field of battle, and he wasn't. 
David had a responsibility as the king of Israel to be out in the field of battle by that point in time, but he decided to just hang around the house and let his generals handle that for a little bit. I'm going to take some R&R. And in limited doses, that's fine. But David was not abhorring evil the way that he should have, partly because he was not doing the good that he was ordered to do. And Christians very often find ourselves in this trap. We neglect to do the good, and because of that, we are not adequately equipped to stave off the evil. And what has happened in the Capitol today is I think there are some people there in that crowd that neglected to do the good, and because of that, that temptation came and the evil was just too enticing for them because they didn't adequately abhor the evil because they had not been clinging to the good. I think that that's a pretty apt synopsis of what happened the other day. I don't know them, I don't know their hearts, but I do understand human nature. And if I had to take a stab in the dark, I don't think I would be far off in saying that that is a good synopsis of, of what took place the other day. And ultimately that is because the good is what drives out the evil. It's doing things like following the golden rule and trying to bring other people to Christ, to show love for them, to be engaged in benevolence, to feed the sheep, as Jesus put it. Because when we're doing that, everything else just kind of falls into place. When we're doing the things that God asked us to do, if we are busy about trying to engage in work that benefits God's kingdom, there's just not a lot of time left to sin. And beyond that, there's just not a lot of desire to. You know, if you are engaged in the things that you are supposed to be doing, for example, we'll just use the example of a marriage. Whenever cheating happens, it's almost always because somebody in the marriage, or both people in the marriage, more often than not, are engaging or are neglecting to do the things that God asks a man and a woman to do. To fulfill each other, to protect each other, to look out for one another, to support one another, for the man to, to lead and for the woman to love and to, to nourish and to take care of. Usually when that system starts breaking down, the sin happens, but the sin is an outcropping of a lack of doing something good. And that's just the way that it works. And that's just a small example of, of how it works in our lives. Normally, if we're engaged in whatever sin it is, whether it's we have a problem controlling our anger, or we have an issue with gossiping, or we have problems with you know sexual desires, or almost always, not always, but most of the time, those are outcroppings of us neglecting to do what God asks us to do. That's the underlying problem. And so ultimately, I think that that's something that we need here. It goes back to really what I was saying in the last segment, which is if we don't have something to distinguish ourselves from the bad, if we don't have something that sets us apart, because remember, the church is called the ecclesia. That's the word that's translated to church in the New Testament. It means the called out. We're not supposed to be of this world. I mean, yeah, the average person in the world, you throw a brick through their window, they're going to pick it up and throw it right back at you. Yes, that, that is how the world functions. Christians aren't supposed to be like that. I, I get that it's hard. I get that it's frustrating to watch 
the media and law enforcement and people on the left offer excuse after excuse to watch people riot and burn down our cities and our towns and not do a dang thing about it. And they have neglected their duty and they will have to answer to God for that one day. But that does not excuse us doing the same thing and turning into them. It just doesn't. That is not made okay because other people are doing bad things. Two wrongs do not make a right. And ultimately, if we remember that, I think it'll go a long way in helping us to remember to do the right thing as well. By abhorring the evil, by calling it out for what it is, by calling a spade a spade and calling it out even when it hurts, even when it's somebody from our side, we are doing our part in abhorring the evil and clinging to the good. Stay the course, friends. Tactics with Caleb Colquitt. Only on News Radio 1440 and NewsRadio1440.com.